0: community church exists to shine as light in our homes in our community and in our world to contact us or for more information see our website at wildwoodchurch.org now if you would please take out your bibles and turn in them in the new testament to the book of second timothy and chapter number two if you don't have a bible with you there should be one at our chair in front of you and you could take that Bible, and turn in the back part to page 166, and you would be at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Most of us know about the uh, famous painter Leonardo da Vinci. He was the one who painted that famous Last Supper painting, you know, where you have Jesus with all his disciples at the Last Supper. And when it came time as he was working on that painting to paint the face of Of Christ. He said, I need a model. I want to find someone who exemplifies the qualities of Christ, someone who looks almost like an angel. And so he went to a church in Rome where he found an angelic looking choir boy whose name was Pietro Bandinelli. And so he had Pietro come and and sit in his studio and he painted his face as the face of Jesus. And of course, he thanked Pietro afterwards for all the help that he gave and the boy left. Now, what you may not know is that Leonardo da Vinci put that painting on the back burner for many, many years. He was working on a number of other projects, and it was later in his life when he decided, I need to go back and finish The Last Supper. And when he went back to it, he realized that he had painted the face of every person in the painting except for... Judas Iscariot, and he thought, you know, if I'm going to paint Judas Iscariot, I want to find someone to be the model for his face, who is a a hardened person who's been beaten down by a life of poor choices, and so he decided to hit the streets of Rome, and he often found himself in the area where there were homeless people, and finally one day he found this homeless man who had lived a very difficult, painful life. You could just see it on his face. And he asked that homeless guy to come to his studio so he could paint his face, to be the face of Judas Iscariot. And he did that. And even as he was painting the painting, Da Vinci was thinking this man has weathered many storms in his life. And after his face, the face of Judas was completed, he thanked the man, and then he said this to him. He said, before you leave, what is your name so that I can know who you are? And the homeless man said... My name is Pietro Bandinelli. You painted me when I was a child. I am the face of Christ in this same painting. The same vessel can be used for honor and can be used for dishonor. The difference are the choices that one makes in life. And a very similar idea is raised by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2, verses 19 to 22. And we're in a section of 2 Timothy where it's emphasizing that our choices are a key to spiritual steadfastness in our life. It's a key our choices are to steering clear of spiritual catastrophe. We're in a section in chapter 2 where he's emphasizing that we are to make right choices. In fact, that's what we want to talk about, part number two this week. We talked about making right choices, part number one, last week. This week is part number two, and we're going to look at verses 19 to 22, and so I would invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read these verses. Verse 19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal, The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, Sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. As we have stated, the whole emphasis of chapter 2 of Second Timothy is on spiritual steadfastness. And he wants to point out to us and to Timothy that we should make right choices. In fact, there are three of them um, in the middle part and the end part of this chapter. We looked at the first right choice last time, choose to be a diligent workman. And we saw that in verse 14 to the first part of verse 19. Now we come to the second right choice, and that is to choose to be a vessel of honor. And here's the outline As we look at this second right choice that we are to make, first of all, we're going to look at the pivot in verse 19. We're going to see that verse 19 is really a pivot verse between the first two choices. Then we're going to look at the choice in verse 20. We're going to look at the path to making that choice in verse 22. And then we're going to look at the benefits of this choice in verse 21. So we're going to look at the pivot, the choice, the path, and the benefits. So let's begin by looking at the pivot. We're calling it a pivot because verse 19 is really a pivot between the very first choice, choosing to be a diligent workman, and the second choice of choosing to be a vessel of honor. I want to back us up to last week. Remember, we were talking about, last week, truth distorters. And we were talking about their destructive doctrine. And we talked about adolescent attitudes. And we pointed out last time that these truth disorders, with all that they do, have negative ramifications. They're negative ramifications in the assembly of the church, and they're negative ramifications in the individual lives of believers. Remember how he said in verse 14 at the end of the verse, regarding the truth distorters, what they do leads to the ruin of the hearers. It causes spiritual trouble in their life. And in verse 18... At the end of that verse, regarding the truth distorters, it says they upset the faith of some. They actually undermine people's faith. Now, right at that point, it raises a question. And here's the question. I think Paul anticipates this question. Those who have their faith undermined, do they lose their salvation? If someone is a follower of Jesus, and they are derailed by a truth distorter, are they then drummed out of the family of God? And anticipating that question, he addresses that issue with the first part of verse 19. Notice he says, nevertheless, even if the truth distorters do undermine the faith of some people, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. Even when a follower of Jesus is derailed or their faith is undermined, the firm foundation of God stands. The picture is there's a foundation stone on the church. And on that stone, that foundation stone, is a double inscription. And the first part of the inscription is an encouragement for us. And the second part of that inscription is an exhortation for us. So notice he says, the firm foundation of God stands having this particular seal. Here's the first inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 14, I know my own. I am fully aware of those who trusted in me salvation. And then John chapter 10 and verse 28, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, this is what Jesus said, I give eternal life to them. I know who my own are. And he says, and they will never perish. And I have that word never in red and underlined because it's a reflection of the way the language is in the original. We could easily translate it this way, I give eternal life to them, and they will absolutely never, ever perish. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. You may be derailed, but you cannot be lost. See, this first inscription is an encouragement of our assurance of salvation that when you trust in Christ, you're not going to be lost. No one can ever snatch you out of the Father's hand. But again, verse 19 is a pivot between the first choice and the second choice. And the second part of the inscription is the exhortation to us. Notice it there in verse 19. Everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Very picturesque language here. Literally, it means to stand off from wickedness, to to back up from wickedness. And the clear aim that he is emphasizing for you and for me is that we are to live rightly. We are to live holy. Paul communicated this idea to others in New Testament era. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, he says to the Corinthian believers, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Peter wrote to the believers, and he said this in 1 Peter chapter 1 as obedient children. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. I think the thrust that he is making is that we are to keep character a priority in our spiritual life, to keep character a priority. You know what's really interesting about our culture today? We live in a culture where there is a current character crisis. Chicago Sun-Times columnist Sidney J. Harris wrote this. He said, since most of us would rather be admired for what we do rather than for what we are, we are willing to sacrifice integrity for achievement. See, what our culture is beginning to think is something like this. Who really cares about character as long as you get something significant accomplished? And the culture is buying into that thinking more and more. And of course, the danger is because the culture is pushing on us, is that the church might begin to buy into that also. We live in a culture that is downplaying, diminishing, de emphasizing character as essential de character as being crucial. And we see this especially, true, I think, when it comes to those who are leaders of our cities and leaders of our states, and yes, even leaders of our country. Our culture is just leaning away from character. We're underestimating it, underrating it, under, undervaluing it. What difference does character make? As long as you get something done... And you know what's amazing to me about that? That is so illogical. It is so totally inconsistent. I mean, think about it. If you you had a sum of money and you desired to put that into the care of someone else, would their character make a difference to you? You would go, oh, absolutely. I want somebody of character to handle and invest my money. If you were going to get somebody to care for or train your children, would character make a difference? Of course it would. Absolutely it would. But isn't it interesting how the culture is beginning to underestimate, underrate, and undervalue character? Ultimately, what we are determines what we do. And if we're going to steer clear of spiritual catastrophe, if we're going to experience spiritual steadfastness in our Christian life, that brings us to the choice that we must make in verse 20, where he talks about choosing to be a vessel of honor. Look at verse 20 again. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. You're going to have, he's saying, in, in this house, this large house, you're going to have gold and silver vessels. You're going to have utensils made out of gold and silver. They could be containers. They could be bowls. But also in that same house, you would have vessels of wood and earthenware, which is just clay and pottery, you would have wood and, and, and clay vessels, utensils. They might be buckets. They might be, be jars of some sort. But he says some of these vessels are vessels for honor. They have a noble use. Like you might use these vessels to eat from, to dine from, to drink from. That's a very noble use, But you would also have some vessels, he says, which are vessels of dishonor. They have an ignoble use. Like you may have a vessel that you use to dispose of garbage. You throw garbage into it. It's not something that you want to then turn around and and eat your food out of or drink out of. Or you might have a vessel of dishonor for the ignoble use of dealing with, with human waste. You know, we, we are, in modern days, we have this modern plumbing, you know, and there's certain things we do in that little white throne that's there. But we wouldn't think about drinking the water out. I mean, our dog might think about drinking the water out of there, but, but that's too ignoble use. You know, we want a, a, an honorable vessel to drink water from. And I want to remind you that when he wrote this, they were the pre-plumbing days. And in pre-plumbing days... They would have what might be called a chamber pot or a chamber bucket, and it would be something that would have a lid on it. And if you had to do certain business you know, during the night or when it was really cold out, you would use this chamber pot, put the lid back on it, and wait till the next day to go and empty it outside. Some are vessels of honor that have a noble use. Some are vessels of dishonor that have ignoble use you. So what's the goal for us? Well, look at verse 21. He says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. He's saying to you and to me, choose to be a vessel of honor. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, that's daily choices that we have to make. He will be a vessel for honor. He will be a noble, she will be a noble vessel that God can use. The New Living Translation puts it this way. If you keep your listen to this, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. I like the words of Chuck Colson. He said this, holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. Isn't that true? It is the everyday business of every Christian. It evidences itself in the decisions we make and the things we do hour by hour and day by day. Holiness is the everyday business of every Christian. Now, I'm a very practically-minded person. I always want to know how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to choose to be a vessel of honor? Well, the path is laid out for us down in verse 22. Verse 22 gives us the practical how-to. How do we choose to be a vessel of honor? And he's going to tell us here that there are some things that we are to flee, some things we are to avoid, and there's some things that we are to pursue. Those are some things that we are to embrace if we want to choose to be a vessel of honor. Look at verse 22. He says, now I want you to flee... From youthful lusts. That word that is translated flee from in the original language is the word fugo, F U E G O. We get the word fugitive from fugo. The New Living Translation puts it this way run from. You know, one of my favorite movies is the the movie The Fugitive. And, in fact, I I got into the story of The Fugitive because I'm an older person, you know, I grew up with the TV series The Fugitive. And in The Fugitive, Richard Kimball embodies this idea of Fugo fleeing from. He spends the movie or he spent the series, it went on for several seasons, Fleeing from the authorities who were trying to arrest him. He was always running from the authorities, fleeing from them. And by the way, this is in the original language, a present tense, which just simply means this is to be a pattern in our life. We're to do this not just once, but over and over again. The pattern of my life and your life should be that we flee from certain things. What are we to flee from? Well, he says in verse 22, we are to flee from youthful lusts. The NIV says the evil desires of youth. It's just a basic word for strong desires, but obviously it's referring to negative ones. And there's a whole litany of things that could fit into the category of fleeing from the evil desires of youth. I just want to highlight a few of them. And one of them would be sexual sin. We should flee from sexual sin. I will remind you that Timothy is at Ephesus, and he'd been there for quite a while, and you may or may not remember that in the city of Ephesus, they had this incredible religious temple, the temple of Artemis, and one of the functions inside the temple for those who came to worship there was temple prostitution. Now think about that for a moment. Think about coming to assemble together as a church at Wildwood and part of what we would do on Sunday morning is we would have temple prostitutes here. And part of the spiritual experience that we would encourage you to do is to get involved sexually with those temple prostitutes. That's the kind of environment that Ephesus was. And part of what we need to do To choose to be a vessel of honor is to flee from sexual sin. Leadership Journal did a very extensive survey of pastors. And they asked these pastors if certain behavior had occurred during their career as a pastor. And it was an anonymous survey. But here's part of what they found. They asked these pastors Since you've been a pastor, have you done something sexually inappropriate with someone who is not your spouse? 23% of the pastors said yes. They asked the question, if you have had sexual intercourse as a pastor with someone other than your spouse, and 12% of the pastors said yes. How about other forms of sexual conduct? And contact, like passionate kissing and fondling. Have you done any of that with someone other than your spouse? And 18% of the pastors said yes. Pretty startling numbers. And you know, if the pastors are doing it, the shepherds are doing it, the sheep are probably following. And they did another survey of believers at large, and they found that the numbers almost doubled. As a Christian, have you done something sexually inappropriate with someone not your spouse, 45%, yes. Have you had sexual intercourse with someone other than your spouse, 23%, yes. As a follower of Jesus, have you been involved in other forms of sexual conduct like passionate kissing and fondling with someone other than your spouse, 28% said yes. Backing up to the pastors, it's interesting. With whom did you get involved in this sexually inappropriate activity? Pastors, 17% of them said with a counselee. 30% of them said with somebody else in the church congregation. 31% said with someone else outside the church congregation. There are some things that we need to flee from. You know, Dwight Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. It's a good thing to ponder. Character is what we really are in the dark. When there's really only us and our computer, what are we in the dark? You know, employing the the Joseph response. Remember Genesis 39. The Joseph response is very essential when we're, we're faced with temptation of, of sexual sin. You remember Joseph when he was confronted with the opportunity for sexual sin? What did he do? Fugo! <laughs> he just fled away from. Him. He got up and physically ran. And that Joseph response is essential if we're going to experience spiritual steadfastness in our spiritual life, if we're going to steer clear of spiritual catastrophe, a spiritual crash. We are to flee from the evil desires of youth. One would be sexual sin. I'm just going to list a few others. Uh, How about the love of money and stuff? In fact, Paul addressed that in his first letter in chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. There's some ways that we're to deal with that. But if we're going to choose to be a vessel of honor, there are certain things we need to flee from. We need to also flee from, I would list, contentiousness. It gets back to that adolescent attitudes that we talked about last time where we just have people, even in the church, who just savor debating. They just savor being right all the time. We need to flee from another one might be the pursuit of approval, really an evil desire of youth. You know, where the focus is, I'm just thinking about what other people think about me. And I want everybody to think the right thing about me, rather than, what does God think about me? So if we're going to choose to be a vessel of honor, there are some things we need to flee from. And then notice verse 22 says, there are some things that we are to pursue. There are some things we're to chase after. And let's go back to the fugitive for a moment. You know, you have Richard Kimball, and he is fleeing from the authorities. But what is he doing? Also, he is pursuing. He is pursuing, 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 pursuing the one-armed man who really killed his wife. One of my favorite television programs is on the A&E Network. It's entitled... Fugitive Task Force. It's the U.S. Marshals. And they are pursuing with zeal these bad guys, tracking them down to arrest them. And that's what we need to be doing. There's some things we need to be pursuing. We need to be hunting them down with zeal and resolve. And he lists several things here. We're going to be, choose to be a vessel of honor. We need to pursue righteousness, pursue right doing, doing the right thing to other people. That ought to be a pursuit. We go after that with a zeal. Every day that we wake up, I want to pursue doing right with people. We need to hunt down and pursue with a zeal, faith, trusting God, Despite the way the circumstances are squeezing us in or piling on us, despite the difficulties, part of our passion is to pursue trusting God. We're to pursue righteousness, faith, and we're to also hunt down love. Pursue that with some zeal and resolve. Uh, Often I've shared the definition, the biblical definition of love. It is this, love is a commitment of my will to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost. And we are to be pursuing that in our life with the people around us. We're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and then we're to pursue to chase after peace. It's the opposite of strife. It's peace that we should be after, that we hunt down and we chase after. Peace with our parents and peace with our children and peace with our neighbors and peace with our extended family and and yes, peace with other believers in Jesus Christ. We're to pursue tranquility with people, not conflict with people. And then there's a very interesting phrase that comes up in verse 22. It's easy to miss. I think it's pretty important. We are to... Flee from youthful lusts. We're to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, but we're not to do it alone, are we? We're to do it with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. See, God never designed the Christian life to be a Lone Ranger Christian thing. Well, I just have my own little spiritual life. I just do it over here. I really don't need the church. I really don't need to be connected with others. Oh, wait a second now. See, part of the purpose of the church family is that we're not doing this alone. We're not fleeing from and we're not pursuing after by ourselves. This underscores the necessity of being connected with other believers. But I also want you to notice we are to be connected with the right kind of other believer. We're to flee and pursue with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. When I was young in my growing spiritual life, I often listened to a, a gentleman who an evangelist by the name of Bob Harrington. And part of what Bob Harrington used to say frequently was this. He would say, if you hang around with doubters, you're going to doubt. If you hang around with powders, you're going to pout. What he meant was, if you hang around with the wrong kind of fellow believer, it will have a negative impact on you. And so we're to do this with those who call on the Lord, but they're calling on the Lord from a pure heart. What are the benefits of this choice? Well, they're given to us in verse 21, and there's actually four of them listed there. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. That's the first benefit to be a vessel for honor, that that God can use to accomplish noble things in his kingdom. Anybody here really want to be? I mean, we all want to be that, right? We want to be a vessel for honor. We want God to use us to accomplish noble things for his kingdom. Those who choose to be a vessel of honor also end up being sanctified. The NIV says holy. Being set apart is different is the idea. You know, we're just different from the culture. We're not just like the culture. We're different, and that's attractive. And we're also useful to the master, he lists there. What a tremendous thing to think about. Useful to the master. And you know what? When you're useful to the master, guess what? God will use you. And it is exciting to have God use you. It is fulfilling to have God use you. And then the fourth benefit is we will be prepared for every good work. You know the way I look at that? I look at it this way. We're prepared for anything God might want to do. And you know what? I can tell you That God wants to use you in ways that you never even imagined. God wants to use you in ways that haven't even crossed your mind yet. And when we choose to be a vessel of honor, we are prepared for every good work. He will be ready to surprise you. See, too often, here's what happens to ourselves. We psych ourselves out. We we compare ourselves with somebody else. Hopefully, you're not comparing yourself... Necessarily to me. But I I had that same struggle. I can compare myself with someone else and I think, well, I can't get used like that, so I must be fairly worthless. No, no. When we choose to be a vessel for honor, we're prepared for every good work. God will use us and He will use us in ways we haven't imagined. You see, it's not great talent that God blesses. By the way, there's a whole sermon on that. It's not great talent that God blesses so much as a great likeness to Jesus that he blesses. And if we're going to be spiritually steadfast, we need to choose daily to be a vessel of honor. And as we make right choices in our spiritual life, we can have the face of a young bandinelli rather than the face of an older bandinelli. Now, having looked at these verses and looked at this choice to choose to be a vessel of honor, we want to talk about some life response that we can have. And I I think of three things that revolve around three words that begin with R. Remember, repent, and rely. This is what we can do next. Number one, remember you're never trapped when tempted. The enemy wants us to think that way. But that's not reality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, Paul says that God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. We need to remember we're never trapped when we're tempted. Secondly, by way of life response, repent and confess when you do veer off course. I've veered off course. Every one of your leaders in this church have veered off course to some level or another. When you veer off course, repent and confess. In 1 John 1.9, it says, "If confess, what a beautiful verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's awesome. We need to remember, we need to repent, and number three, by way of life response, rely daily on the Holy Spirit. See, we may be weak, but God is not, and he has not left us powerless. When's the last time you really took some time to meditate on the truth that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That means the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. 100% God lives inside of me? If you know Him personally, yes. And we need to rely on the Holy Spirit daily. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much for this instruction, this exhortation for us to make a right choice, and that is to choose to be a vessel of honor. And I have a 100% confidence that when we choose that, you're going to use us. You're a God of great economy. You want to use us. And to be used of God is such a cool thing. So fulfilling. And choosing to be a vessel of honor in light of what you have done for us is the least that we can do. Father, we want to acknowledge that it's not us who, who are great. It's you who are great. Honor you in our life, we pray. Amen.